I see that a major revolution is coming. And and when you see that, it's and let's, let's say in Hong Kong, I predict within the next thirty six to forty eight months, there will be major change in the overall education market. For every person, every now and then, there's a kind of calling inside telling you that what do you want to do for the rest of your life. Change makers highlights passionate people. Who contributed strong changes to the community? These stories may inspire you to make a difference or think bigger for society. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Erin Huang, founder of Web Organic, to share with us how technology can bring a revolutionary change in education. And later in the program, I'll speak to Rachel Chen from Inofoco, a catalyst for change in the field of branding and marketing. Erin Huang founded Web Organic in 2011. The social enterprise is designed to bridge the digital gap between the rich and the poor in Hong Kong. The government is actually taking steps to actually increase the overall network coverage for all schools and also help the poor people to get the device. Web Organic, as we mentioned, the co- is a is a company that I start, and but it's basically a social company. We call it a social enterprise. So our job is to bridge the digital gap. Because the rich people, let's say a rich kid, will be paying with the iPad. But for a poor ethnic minority in Hong Kong, one of the girls I'm mentoring, she needs to wait three hours every day. She's going to go to a social center, go to a library, pick a queue,、uh, and then wait three hours before she can do the 15 minutes PowerPoint. To her, she's really behind because the system really not enabling her to do it. And for society, giving them the network and giving them the device is so cheap. So the way I work in Web Organic, it's we actually go there and provide a very low cost technology and device so that they be able to actually do it very very fast. And that's something that I'm doing. It's innovation, but for the poor and for the social.、Uh, we have some funding from the government. In the last three years, we have reached about seventy thousand people. Not bad. But our target audience is four hundred thousand. So we are moving. Because in the next two years, we know that the government is actually pushing so that books will be gone. Everybody will have their own device and so on. And because of that. They will be coming to us, so we actually have the best network in Hong Kong, but the best device in the world, all the different devices and so on. So allowing them to actually get very very low cost, the、uh, the network have over capacity. There are more mobile network than all we need. There are more free four Gs now, and the three Gs are getting cheaper and cheaper. So because of that, we be able to actually buy things much much cheaper because we can buy the network as a lot. And then use that to subsidize the device. Okay, so our model is use te- use cities to actually work out. Erin shows concern towards technological imbalances among developing countries. His team has been providing low cost network in Cambodia. What about Cambodia? What about somewhere out there where there's no network? How would you help? And to the, to those people, the whole same idea of getting them connected. Getting them to actually connect to opportunity, connected to knowledge is so important. Let's say Cambodia. This is a guy from PolyU. One night at Facebook, he actually challenged me. Yeah, good idea, but only for city. No good. You need to think about doing rural. I said, yeah, good idea, but how do we do it? So in for three hours, we were typing on Facebook very fast. This is very like Silicon Valley. Just people challenging you, and then you're thinking,、mm, I need to do it. So we actually come up with this very interesting idea in three hours. He's sending a team of sixty people. Twenty of them is going to help with water. Twenty people is working on electricity. So we're talking about a, a school 
where there's no water and no use. And we are talking about how to connect them. This is a little bit strange, right? The next team of 20 people, they, he said, can we do something with Web Organic so that you, you help them with digital inclusion? What we did is actually, that night I was actually watching this movie, Iron Man. So Iron Man, in, in Iron Man 2, he act, uh, Tony Stark actually have a suitcase. And then he actually pressed the button and the suitcase become Iron Man. So he actually wear, wear the whole, whole, whole suit. And I was saying, can we build a suitcase that actually do the whole thing? We actually built a suitcase, and the suitcase actually runs this way. It runs on eight, eight hours of battery. It has battery itself. It runs as a server. It served the whole Wikipedia on it. It served the whole Khan Academy, which is a very good video library on it. And then it, it served uh, a lot of ebook and help, helping people how to learn English, Cambodian, and also a first aid. This technology and this concept of innovation allow us to actually teach people language and basic living through using technologies and so on. So within that free hour, we actually create this very, very interesting tool. We calculate that we need about 50,000 Hong Kong to actually do it. That one night, we got $50,000. Last year, after doing the first one, and then some, some of the te- telephone company were saying, well, Erwin, you were doing pretty well in Hong Kong. Maybe we have some device for you so you can, you can take to Cambodia. I said, good. So they give us 15 devices. This year, we went back to the same sites. And then also, we started going to Africa. One of the team went to uh, Rwanda in uh in uh in july so so we this technology and this concept of innovation allow us to actually teach people language and basic living through using technologies and so on they then they really enjoy it erwin recalls how he first visited silicon valley in the 1990s he said this place is full of ideas about technological innovation we actually developed a tool to help schools to actually go online, a, a system called School Team. And there was a time when Donald Zhang was actually the financial secretary because Silicon Valley was so hit. Everybody was saying, wow, this is really good. So, so the, actually the show was actually called Silicon Network. The chief scientist from Apple, Apple Computer at that point of time, come and visit us. And he actually said, wow, this is a very interesting product that you guys have created. And if you bring it to the Silicon Valley, very likely you'll be able to make it out. I said, wow, that's, that's very good. But, but how can we do it? Because I, I, in Hong Kong, we don't, we, we don't understand anything about how the intellectual property works. We are just copying ideas. So that was very difficult. But he actually come to me is in the Indian guy, Rao. He actually said, Erwin, I challenge you. I dare you to actually come and take a look. I said, if you, if you dare me, are you willing to come in to actually help us out? So he actually helped us. I actually uh, sell everything in Hong Kong. In a few months, we actually went. But because we have a house there, uh, basically a, a studio with, uh, with with two rooms and so on, we didn't even take much technology. We take the team there and actually start learning. That place is full of ideas, full of very interesting things and, and, and so on. And in the streets, I bump into Bill, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs over the two years' time. And they just talk to you. So so there are all kinds of things that you'll be able to actually talk to and, and enjoy and, and work out new ideas and so on. So we actually come up with these very interesting ideas. In a few years, we actually learn how to build technologies, how to move on to new technologies and license them and so on. That was the time when the mobile phone gets to a digital version. Now we know that will change the whole world. An open thinking environment encourages innovation. Erin thinks it's hard to find a place in Hong Kong where people can sit down and exchange ideas to change the world. I really think that uh, my eyes were open how intellectual property works. Let's say in Hong Kong, people are thinking, as I mentioned, just copying ideas and so on. But my, my thinking is, wow, it's over there. 
you just sit there in a coffee shop and all the different people will throw out very, very interesting ideas. Some, some, are, some are really useless, but some are really, really good. And then by jamming these ideas together, you'll be able to see things that you, you, you are not able to see before. In Hong Kong, those are very rare situations where you have very good people sitting together and actually being able to jam some new ideas and that might change the world. Everybody there tries to change the world. So in Hong Kong, some because people are afraid of copying people or or they, they copy people so easy, so they don't want to talk about what their idea. So the idea doesn't feel well. But over there, who cares? It, my idea doesn't really work, maybe. So so I would just throw out the idea and then maybe some top CEOs were there and then venture capital might be there and then they might actually react to your things and so on. Or maybe, so I think that that kind of open atmosphere, I I haven't seen afterwards anywhere in the world i must say maybe a little bit in beijing in the last four or five years but on the other hand that's about it nowhere in the world where it's so easy to actually communicate new ideas fundings are around good opportunities are there and so on the way that silicon valley people think about uh, technology and intellectual properties is like this if i show you something and you go and copy it by the time you copy it if i still sit here it's my fault. I should be there. I should be 10 miles, uh, 100 miles ahead already. Because I, if I show you today, I, I already have tried it. And then by the time you actually copy the whole idea, which might take two months, I should be much, much faster going, going, going ahead. That kind of open thinking, it's something that in, in Hong Kong, in Asia, it's a little bit lacking. Aaron believes that he can apply his technological skills on different industries to create more values and more impact. Even if when I study and work very hard at school, I only get A A minus. So I never get an A. I'm not the brightest student anyway. So the way I look at myself and the way that I recommend people to think about themselves is that, okay, first, uh, there's a Chinese saying that everybody have a knife. It's, a, it's not a knife. You have different skills and the skills are, not, are, are, are like different li- knives and so on. I'm not as good as a, let's say, sushi knife, which is very, very sharp. So you can cut something very, very thin. Uh, what kind of knife I, I, I think I am? I'm like a butter knife. Pretty puny, pretty small, and it's, it's, it's wrong. So, so if you use it to try to beat a sushi knife, you'll be in big trouble. As, as a technology guy, my, my competition is not other technology guy. My my competition, my, the way I see it as a butter knife, it's I need to find the butter. And where is butter? The butter to butter to me is actually other industries. So if I if I learn something and put it onto other industries, I can actually start to innovate because the way I see things, it's a very different from from the way they see things. Let's say the but, butter knife in this case, it's a communication technology. And if we are able to actually do it right, the technology can change not just technology field, but every single facet of life. And because of that, you create value. If I apply my technology to other industry, what I've learned, let's say over the years, I've helped transform the dictionary publishing market. So dictionaries need to publish much faster, but using technology, we'd be able to do it much faster than they used to publish one edition in six years. And I was telling the publishing guy, saying the dictionary editor, saying, "Well, dictionary is supposed to reflect what's what 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 vocab people are using. If it takes six years for you to publish your next generation product, then six years ago, let's think, six years ago there's no iPad, and iPad have changed the whole world in the in the last four or five years. So think about what what the the technology is enabling the new product to actually work. So dictionary publishing, newspaper publishing." 
I helped publish Nick's magazine, Apple Daily. Again, completely changed the way how magazine and newspaper will change. Uh, education industry is something that I'm really interested in. So how you how do you use technology to enable people to learn better? If you are not the A student, don't despair. But you need to find your butter. You need to find where the opportunity is. And by applying that, then you have innovation. Exactly what I told the dictionary editor uh, many years ago when I was in the, entering the industry. She is a relatively old lady. And then she said, Erwin, don't try to tell me how to do that dictionary editing. For 30 years, she have known how to do it. But at the end of the day, it's not the book that you print. It's actually what kind of value that you actually add to the product. A new way of doing it create a new product. And by applying technology to it, the way I can see new things can change many, many people. Erin is also the chairman of Hong Kong e-learning consortium. He's advocating a change in the learning dynamics among students, moving from teaching-centric teaching to student-centric learning. I see that a major revolution is coming. And and when you see that, it's, and let's say in Hong Kong, I predict within the next 36 to 48 months, there will be major change in the overall education market. Because of this potential revolution, all kinds of new innovations and software and apps and networks can actually be developed. And I really think that there are all, there are all kinds of opportunity there. And the way, it, the, the way the change is like this. About 150 years ago, there was a technology that changed, that changed and defined all learning. And that technology has basically worked till today. That technology is called Blackboard. All classrooms within the last centuries is actually built that way. So, so basically one person sitting there, uh, standing there, and then everybody, 40, 40 students actually listening to them and so on. That person, that teacher, basically have all the answers. If you go to Wikipedia, it's actually interesting. The way they document this innovation is that they actually think it's related to the British Empire, where industrial revolution and it's colonizing everywhere, everywhere in the world, Australia, Hong Kong, US, and everything and so on. And then, but they actually define a way where everybody needs to speak the same language, English. And then they also need to learn mathematics. All the basic stuff needs to learn. Okay, think about it. Before that, before the Industrial Revolution, before the cities, urbanization, it's all villages. People have a mentor. Maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm born a carpenter. My father's a carpenter. I learned how to do carpenting. But I might not speak good English. I might not be able to actually do good math because I only, I only know how the skills to actually do carpentry. But on the other hand, think about how this British Empire work. It wants the same currency, same, same, same uh, language, and same mathematics, so that the basic level of learning is there. Education system, modern education system per se, is actually built that way. We actually call it teacher-centric learning, and it helps developing country to actually get to a certain level. It's very important. I, I give, give them a lot of credits, but but think about today, even today, most of the classroom work that way. So one, one person sitting in the front, the classroom might be smaller, so 30-some 30, 30 people, but sitting there, and then they're teaching the same thing. But it's, it's an age of individualism now. It's all, every, everything is personalized. And f- today, the revolution is about student-centric learning instead of teacher-centric teaching. The technology allows us to actually, instead of just the teacher teaching one way, we actually let everybody go online. And then they have their own ladder to actually to actually climb. On the other hand, if we give you a software allowing you to actually learn faster and chase back the time during your Sunday weekends or during your evenings, then at least you have a chance to actually get better, to actually chase back to the certain level. In the normal classroom, the teacher don't have time to do it. In the new world, 
where we, we actually call it flipped classroom, where you'll be able to go online and then there will be, be all the videos that you want that you can actually learn every single piece. But you would know that you are stuck here. Then the teacher would come and help you just for that piece. And by, by solving that problem, you move faster. So think about the whole system completely change. Instead of teacher teaching one thing for everybody, so, so we become an industrial revolution like, uh, like Ken's. Now everybody have the chance to actually celebrate their potential to actually learn the new stuff. Okay, because of that, technology networks need to be very fast. Device, everybody needs to have their own device. Internet, all kinds of contents need to be there and enable things to work. And everybody would buy different books. Instead of buying a $500 book, which some of them you don't need, you actually just choose the right thing to it, and the system will tell you how to do it. Uh, the way I start this whole thing is actually signing with the next with the person next to you, because if if you are if you are trying to actually deliver hope to poor people, that's that's really worth thinking how to do it, and then how you use innovation to actually do it. If you couldn't even start helping the next person, the next door neighbor, on doing something, then there's no way do you that that you actually think about how, moving uh, moving to different countries and different things and so on. So start with something small. Start with something nearby and then look into how your butter knife will apply so that's something you're good at. You might be good at music. You might be good at helping people. You might be good at technology that I do. You might be good at negotiation or whatever and apply it to that case for a good cause. Then the reward will come. And then step by step, you will see much farther. Rachel Chan took the plunge to jump out from the public sector a few years ago. She then founded a branding strategy company, Innovoco, after reflecting her purpose of life. For every person, every now and then, there's a kind of calling inside telling you that what do you want to do for the rest of your life. When I decided to leave the government, my answer was actually quite definite. No, I wouldn't enjoy doing what I was doing. At that moment, so I left the government, and then I joined another public sector organization. And then after a while, I also posed that question to myself. And again, the answer was maybe it was time for you to look for something else again. So I actually went to London and studied for a program there for one year. During that year in London, I came across a new generation of what I call strategic design agencies. They do not design products. Or stuff, but they design services, experiences, and business models. And when I came back to Hong Kong, I need to look for a job. Unfortunately, I couldn't find something similar. In the end, I had to create a job for myself. So I started Innovoco. Leaving the government at that time actually took a bit of courage. But what really inspired me at that moment to take the plunge was a book. The book is called The Alchemist. In that book, I may not be able to quote exactly the exact words, but what it means is, if you want to do something, the heaven will conspire to help you to do what you want. And so long as you have the passion, if you have the determination to do it, I must say, yeah, that actually is quite a defining moment for me. 
Nofoco is a network we call ourselves catalysts. We are not comfortable with the status quo. The name Inofoco is actually a blend of two words, inno as in innovation, which is kind of self-explanatory. Uh, but then the second word, foco, is actually a Spanish word. It can mean focus or a light bulb. What really inspired me is another meaning of foco. There is a foco theory related to guerrilla warfare. It's also related to one of my personal idols. It's uh, Che Guevara. And he actually, I would say, popularized this foco theory. What it means is, it's a strategy whereby small teams of fast-moving vanguards are trying to change the establishment from the fringe. In my context, I wouldn't call it revolutionary, but we are a small group of people, uh, we are fast-moving, and we really want to change the world. Rachel believes that organizations should carry a strong purpose by creating values to the society. I was inspired by a branding guru in London. He said for the 21st century, governments have to behave more like businesses. And at the same time, private sector organizations have to behave more like government. It means a lot to me, and I think he was very visionary to say this 15 years ago. What he meant was public sector organizations have to be more agile. They have to be more market-oriented. And for private sector organizations, it's not just about profit maximization. You need also to think about what value you are delivering to the society. I personally believe very strongly that brands nowadays, I think especially in the West, if you look around for the really successful ones, they manage to give a purpose to their employees and to their customers. I hope we can see more of this kind of companies in Asia and in Hong Kong. This is an area that Innovoco is very keen to advocate. We help brands become better persons by defining and promoting their purpose. Why does a brand exist? What actually does it give to its stakeholders. Our core belief is a strong and successful brand has to have a very strong purpose. And that purpose, obviously, is not just about making money as quickly as possible. It's about what kind of value you are delivering to the society. What kind of problems are you solving? We believe strongly that if you are a responsible brand, you're doing something to change the world, it gives you really extra credit and brand equity. Rachel plays a backup role, advising her clients coming from different backgrounds to make a bigger impact. We have the strategic analytical side of us, like any strategic consulting company, but we also operate in what we say a user-centric manner, using a very creative approach to understand the needs of customers, the needs of business and what new opportunities could be out there to help organizations become more competitive and sustainable. So our strategy is always get ourselves in the door first and then try to work together with them, influence their decisions. From our experience, it's possible to influence them, but of course, it's a long battle. And there are cases that in the process of the build it, uh, of the project, we manage to make the client understand more the rationale behind our proposal. Rachel is an advocate of entrepreneurship. 
She believes that startups or businesses make profit as a means to make a difference. I'm a strong advocate that a business has to solve a problem, but I'm not actually too keen to promote the concept of social enterprises for actually one very obvious reason. Because I believe every startup, every business should have a social purpose. Whether you're solving a business problem, you are solving a problem of the underprivileged, you are solving a problem. What's the point of making it such a niche concept that only a handful of people can deliver meaning to the world? I remember reading a survey on the startup in major startup hubs in the world. There's one component in the survey about the founders' desire to change the world to make a difference. Not surprisingly, the percentage of this component is the highest in the Silicon Valley, where we can find a much higher proportion of successful startup as well. Because a lot of the founders in Silicon Valley, they really believe that they are doing the startup not just because they want to make money; they want to make money as a means to make a difference. So, if you come to think about it, any major successful business must be able to solve. A real problem in the society, and if you're not doing something like that, I doubt your long-term sustainability. We helped Invest Hong Kong launch a new program called Start Me Up Hong Kong Venture Program. At the moment, we also encourage established companies to work with startups in a win-win kind of partnership、uh, because I believe there's so much that each party can offer to each other. I'm very hopeful that Hong Kong will become even more successful as a startup hub. We are seeing a lot more startup or startup entrepreneurs coming from different parts of the world. I think this is a very, very healthy phenomenon that we need to encourage. Rachel was fully inspired by Sir Ken Robinson's speech. In London, she then started Make a Difference program in Hong Kong to inspire more people to become change agents of the world. Let me share a story with you. A few years ago, I was invited to a dinner gathering, and I was lucky enough to sit next to Sir Ken Robinson. He is kind of like a creative education guru, and in the end,、uh, poor Sir Ken, he said to me, "If." You've made the decision to stay in this city. Stop moaning and groaning. Be the agent of change. Do something together with young people, as they are the future.、Um, he really inspired me. And actually, as a result of that dinner, I went to set up a new program called Make a Difference together with、uh, an NGO, the Hong Kong Institute of Contemporary Culture. The Make a Difference program was launched in 2010, and is an ongoing program to encourage and empower young people to be change makers. And recently, we are doing a new initiative. Apart from targeting young people, we are also working with grown-ups. <laughs>、uh, I'm setting up a network called Let's Make a Difference with like-minded business organizations. Uh, educational institutes or even individuals who believe in what we are doing 
they want to support, make a difference, and they also want to make positive changes to Hong Kong. A lot of cases of young people, they really got inspired, say, by our speakers, by fellow attendees, by a lot of visionary thinkers in different domains of the society. And as a result, they made their own changes in life. You know, some, if they are studying, they switch from one discipline to the other because they say, my real passion passion is actually not in this, but in the other subject. Uh, we've seen people who already started their career and then after attending some of our events, they find the real voice inside them and make, again, very drastic decisions to switch their career. And we've seen young people forming startups, solving problems for the social society. We hope this movement will continue and will influence more people uh, because I think we really need more people to make a positive change in Hong Kong. Thanks to our guests, what are change makers? Erin Huang, the founder of Web Organic, and Rachel Chen, founder and chief catalyst of InnoFocal, for sharing their inspiring stories. More change makers next Saturday morning.